Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college basketball, both Cyclones men's and women's team, the NFL, and a little bit of the NBA, along with our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 208. After this year's big game, the Chiefs will have played against at least one NFC team in all four NFC divisions. Uh, They are now the third AFC team to do this. So while I list off when these happen, uh, you three think about who those other two AFC teams are and shoot me a message with that. Um, The first one being Super Bowl one in 1967 against the Packers. So you got the NFC North there. And in case that one didn't count for some reason, they also did the Vikings in 69 for Super Bowl four. Uh, so we got your NFC North ticked off. They ticked off the NFC West. Check that checkbox with the 49ers in 2020. The South with the Buccaneers in 2021. And then after the conclusion of this year's game, the Eagles checks off the NFC East for the Chiefs NFC division opponents in a Super Bowl. Any ideas of what the other two are? That have played in every against every other conference division in the Super Bowl? Uh, specifically AFC teams against all the NFC conference. Specifically AFC. I, I have my answers written in here. I put down Chiefs, Patriots, and Bills. It's got to be the Patriots for sure. Yeah, that one's felt be. easy. All right, yeah, definitely the Patriots. The, the the bills would the bills have only been to four Super Bowls, so they would have had to hit the trifecta in four Super Bowls. So I don't think they did. Yes, which could they could have, but I was like, they went to a bunch in a row, so they might be there. Could have been the Broncos as well, right? They've been to a few. Yeah, could it have been? Um, trying to think, Miami. Have they been to enough Super Bowls? Miami has. Uh, they never got. A team, I think, in the uh, NFC South, though. Is it the Broncos? Is it the Ravens? Oh, no, that's a good guess, though. Uh, They don't have four, even, I don't think. Okay. And it is not the Bills? It is not the Bills. Uh, The Bengals have only been to three Super Bowls, so it's not them. How many Super Bowls have the Raiders? The Steelers. The Steelers have been to quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is the Steelers. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. how we all miss the Steelers. It's wow. been a while. It's been a while since they've been. Uh, been a while since they've been? Huh. Huh. Yeah, that one seems obvious looking at all the teams. I probably should have looked at the yeah. teams first. Man. Yeah. That is uh, your fun fact for the day. So uh, technically, if something were to happen and the Super Bowl didn't happen for some reason, then I guess this wouldn't count. But uh, assuming that it does and the Chiefs actually play in the game, then they will join the ranks of the Patriots. And oh no, it was the Broncos. Oh no, oh. I misread my notes. Oh, I'm terrible. Uh, <laughs> right. I was right. This is yeah, not funny right. anymore. Kyle was right. Yay! I, I did write the Broncos. I got to double check that because I'm pretty sure it was the Steelers. Let's uh, let's let's check my work here. Yeah, always got to fact check the factor. Yeah, because the Cardinals are not in the NFC South, so uh, it was not the Steelers. It was definitely the Broncos. <laughs> My bad. My apologies. Uh, but anyway, they will join the ranks of the Patriots and the Broncos, who also uh, play in the Super Bowl against every single or a team from every single division in the NFC. Huh. Nice. That is a fun fact. I like it. Interesting. Cool. Well, the the Cyclone men had a had another interesting week 
Mike, you we went one and one again, right? And I mean, my big picture summary of the week is they won the one that mattered and lost the one that, that really didn't. Um, they won the big one um, against K-State on Tuesday, knocking off a top five. I think they were slightly overrated at five. Um, I mean, they're still seven, which I still think is slightly overrated for them. But anyway, um, uh, they knocked off number five K-State at home on Tuesday and then um, got I won't say killed. They got they got handled by uh, Mizzou on Saturday. Um, but if you, that's the game that mattered, right? You won the conference game that mattered. You continued to defend your home court in conference play, which is going to be huge coming down the stretch in the Big 12. Um, Holmes and uh, Calcio were incredible in this game. Um, Holmes had 23 points to lead um, the Cyclone scorers and uh, I guess tied with uh, Marquise North to lead for all scorers. Um, eight of 11 from the field. So very efficient as well. Kalsha was deadly from the mid range in this game. He was only two of five from three, but he was seven and 11 from the field overall and scored 19 points. Um, and then uh, Oshun was also very good, had 16 um, points as well as two blocks in this game. Um, and then you've also got to highlight um, Caleb Grill, who's been dealing with a back injury. We weren't sure if he was going to play in this game. He did play, albeit only 25 minutes, so not as many as you would have hoped. But he did contribute five points and three rebounds. Um, it was just a just a very gutsy performance from, from Grill and one that we really needed to win that game. And of those five points, he did have a pretty crucial three uh, at the end of that game. He had taken a couple attempts throughout the game that were well short. Um, you could tell that his back was impacting him. But at the end of the game, he stepped into one uh, and drained it. And that really did help extend that lead um, for the Cyclones there. And some some free throws when you could tell his back was hurting. He was holding it between... Between free throw attempts, it was definitely not a 100% performance from him. And I feel like his four personal fouls uh, show that. He probably was not as quick laterally as he normally is on defense. But uh, he, you know, it would have looked probably a little bit more like the Mizzou game if we didn't have him. Yeah. And in the Mizzou game, well, we'll we'll get to the Mizzou game in a second. I mean, other thoughts on the K-State game? I thought the defense in the first half from the Cyclones um, was incredible in that game. Uh, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel are their um, are their players. They're they're their go to scorers for K State, um, and they average nearly forty points a game um, between them. In the first half, they combined for eight, so we were absolutely shutting them down in the first half. Now they did get loose in the second half, and they ended up combining for thirty eight points. So they ended up getting to their average. But the fact that we kept them down in the first half, kept the Cyclones in the lead for most of that game, and then were able to hold on and win it. That was that was key, in my opinion, is that we kept them down. Yeah, I, w- I would say that as of late, though, um, and this was obviously uh, emphasized against Missouri, but this the three-point defense has been rough. Um, over the past past few games, past few weeks uh, against K-State, there were a ton of open looks in the second half. Um, Ish Mas- Masood uh, for the 
the Wildcats, and then Marquise Noel had quite a few open looks. Uh, and there were a few open looks at the beginning of the game with Cam Carter. Uh, this K-State team was was able to hit a few shots here and there, uh, but they did miss quite a few, thankfully, uh, that Missouri couldn't miss in that game at the end of this week. Uh, so it, that's one thing to watch for. It's not entirely, you know, Caleb Grill being out that this three-point defense is going uh has has dipped a little bit in the past couple of games, but it's definitely something to keep your eye on. I, I don't know. I think it, uh, I think a lot of it is Caleb Grell. And if we just look at, if we look at these stats the last three games, so Oklahoma State was nine for twenty one from three, with most of those makes coming in the second half when Grill didn't play. Um, K State was nine for sixteen with Grill hobbled, and then Missouri was fourteen of thirty without Grell. Right, there's only been one other game this year where we've been that bad defensively from three, and that was against Iowa, where they where they just shot the lights out. I think Grill is our second best perimeter defender on the team, after Kalsher. I think he's our best three point defender, though. I think it's just Gabe hard is, to determine. For sure. on, yeah, Gabe is definitely a better on ball perimeter defender, hundred percent. But I think Grill is important from three or defending the three for two reasons. One is that um, he's great closing out on shooters, um, especially when he's not necessarily the primary defender on that shooter. And secondly, I think he's underrated in defending against the skip pass. You saw Mizzou execute a ton of skip passes um, in that game, leading to open threes, especially in the corners. And I think Grill is just really good at being in those skip passing lanes um, and getting either getting steals or deflections or just discouraging that pass from happening. I don't know how you be good at that, but I just feel that Caleb Grill is good at that. And that, um, and that decreases the, uh, the three-point percentage for the opposing teams. And there, there's something to be said about just chemistry. And unsaid things. When you play defense like Iowa State plays defense, they put so much pressure on it, and you have to read and react and know exactly where your guy is going. When somebody that plays 30 to 35 minutes a night is just gone, that is a massive blow to your chemistry, and you have to react to different guys in different spots. And, I mean, that is a big you know, change to your defense, regardless of how good the next guy that's playing is playing. You're just going to feel different, and when you have such a reactionary defense – you're going to see that until people get used to it. It'll be interesting when we get Koontz back to see what that looks like for the first few games. I will say on offense, when this team wins, it looks so much different than what we saw last year. I feel like any time last year, it was like, what guy is going to step up and just score all the points while the rest of the guys score like four? This year has felt so much more rounded to me. When we win, we have multiple double-digit scores. We have guys contributing, obviously, in the K-State game. Lipsy was balling out and, you know, Kalsher did well too. A lot of those were later shots. So for a lot of the game, it seemed very well rounded in the scoring. And I've seen that more and that's been, I've enjoyed it to feel like we're more of a team on offense and less of a uh, give Isaiah Brockington the ball on offense, but like it was last year. So I've been appreciative of that. And, you know, seeing a little bit more of an offensive system than we did last year has been nice to see consistent scoring across across the team. I mean, yes, Kalsher and Holmes are our best scorers, 
Um, and that's been true in conference play. But like I said, Oshun is um, having double-digit double performances. Grill has been in double digits quite a few games in conference. Lipsy has even made double digits a few games in conference, which I wasn't expecting after seeing some of his non-conference performances. But he had, um, what did he have against K-State? He had 10 points against K-State. He had more than that against Mizzou, I believe, too. And right, he's, his, his scoring ability has been surprising for me, which is, which is good. I, I love that, from a, especially because he's very good assisting. Any scoring we can get from him is great. So I'll be interested to see if people start playing him to score more. You see that with people when they play KU. They play uh, Harris that way. They just let him score. They're just like, go ahead. And you see that sometimes in games where they back off him and he doesn't shoot the three because he's got awful at it. I'd be interested to see if that happens more as the year goes on. Yeah, because Lipsy isn't a good three-point shooter. We, we've said that. That's, no. That's, that's still true. I appreciate. He's three for 14 from three yeah. this year. But he takes him when he's open, and his shot doesn't look that bad. Hopefully that's something he can work on. That is what I said going, like, that's for this team going next year. You yeah. saw how many times uh, in between K-State and Mizzou where they're not even guarding him at the three-point line. Yep. They are guarding that dribble drive because that is w- what they know he will beat him on uh, if you're a defender. So for his growth and development as a uh, Cyclone in, in a Division One like high level basketball player, he needs to be able to shoot at least 25% from the three point line. If not 20%, he needs to be able to stand out there when he's left wide open and be able to hit one out of every five. Yeah. That's all he needs is to shoot the wide open ones. We're not asking him to be Kalsher or grill and be a sniper. Just hit them when you're open. So they have to, you know, respect your jump shot. And then it makes it a lot easier for you to drive into the paint. It all benefits you. Shoot him so you don't have to shoot him. Remember at this point last year, though, we were saying pretty much this exact same thing about oh, Tyrese Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he, he, he looks he better this year. As the year went on, and he was much better this year. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know if Lipsy is as good as Hunter, um, but still, he Hunter is proof that this can be fixed. Shooting is something that you can get better at. You just there's a simple answer to it. Just put up a lot of shots in the gym. Yeah. So yeah, overall, um, overall a good week um, from this team, Um, except for Bob Jones. Yes, we we have criticized Bob Jones plenty. He deserves he deserves some criticism. He is not a good basketball. How do you how do you get basically put the ball in your hands? like gifted to you on a fast break and you go to two hand dribble it off the court and go up for a power move and you dribble it off your foot on a fast break. I, I don't know. I, I think we need Coons back in order to see what this rotation shifts to and looks like, but I think we need to play Hassan Ward more and we need to play Trey King more in those minutes. And obviously Coons in those minutes. Hassan Ward must look terrible in practice because he never gets any game time. Yeah. I mean, he's got, his minute percentage is 17%. He's playing 17% of minutes. Um, the Bartovic ranks him essentially as an equivalent player to, um, to Robert Jones. I'd be curious what that looks like in conference play, though. That I don't yeah. know. Because a lot of that was non-con. I can, I can do that. Less. 
I can do that. Hit us Let with the numbers. It's loading. Hold on. In conference play, Ward is down to 7% of the minutes, and Jones right. is at 40. And Ward is grading out as a significantly better player than Jones. Oh. Yeah. yeah. 40% of the minutes? But it's so hard to determine when you only play 7%. Like, that can look great, and it's just because you made one basket when you were out there for two minutes. But Right. He, I mean, yeah. You'd like to see more time. Yeah, he's five for six on the field, Ward is. I will say, Bob Jones does give us one thing that no one else can, and it's the fact that he's six foot ten, and that's literally the reason he's out there. He's big; he can be big and in the way, and sometimes he can get rebounds. Other than that, uh, you know, he seems like a nice guy. That's all the things I have to say about him. But yes, I would love to see Kuntz take most of those minutes. Let's get Jones down to a ten percent minute share. I would say Robert Jones should be playing five to ten minutes a game, maybe Not- twelve. Yeah, not eighteen. about eighteen in conference. Yeah. If we play Kansas, he basically shouldn't see the floor. I mean, if Kuntz is back for the Kansas game too, yeah. especially Kuntz can play the five against KU. Anyway, that's enough about Robert Jones. You all know how we feel about Robert Jones. Um, it's not great. Any other thoughts on the games this week? What else? What else did you see this week that you want to talk about? Not much. I mean, I mean, there's, there's. For me, it's more so we have to take care of business this week. This this week is another big week, especially with how this team is still positioned at the top of the standings currently and how, you know, setting the tone for the for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah, for sure. Ariane, right, any other thoughts um, about this week before we move on to next week? Um, Not necessarily about this week, but just going forward, I would anticipate seeing i think as the season goes on we're going to see better and better performances from oshun uh so i'll be i'll be watching that for sure but i feel like he's been ramping up recently in conference play and i expect that to continue until we see him kind of being a 15 and 7 15 and 8 kind of guy yeah that would be really good to see um if he could continue to play well because he played i think he played he had a a quietly great game against missouri yeah, played good defense, had about eight points, five rebounds, I think, maybe a couple blocks. Yeah, he had at least two blocks that I can remember off the top yeah. of my head. Um, I can go he can back be and be pretty dominant watch. defensively. And the offense, yeah, the ease at which he scores offensively is what gets me. Like some people have, some people work hard for buckets. He just looks like easy for him, especially in college. A lot of the big guys you see are like, I am big, that is why I can score. Like Zach Eady, great guy, really good at basketball. Doesn't look particularly fluid or beautiful when he's scoring. He just looks giant. Oshun has a little bit of skill. He works in the post. He's got that little kind of push floater from the very top of the paint. Like he's got moves and he can hit a three every now and then. I would, I would love to see him shoot one three a game, basically. Just one. Yeah, mate, right? Because he can take people on the dribble too. So if they have to respect his three point yeah. shooting, if he, he can shoots 30%. And then good luck. It's good enough. Yeah. I know I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I would love to see an Oshun versus Zach Eady matchup at some point. I think oh, that God. would be fun. I do not want to see Zach Eady against our team. I don't either. I still have PTSD. Oshun would have two fouls in four minutes. Bob Jones would have six fouls in four minutes. And then we'd have Bob Jones. Ugh. I still have PTSD from seeing us get mashed with uh, Caleb Swanigan and whatever giant 
you know, seven foot man they had with Caleb Swanigan when we played him in the NCAA tournament was awful. I've I've watched Purdue live uh, against Minnesota. Minnesota got absolutely destroyed, but Minnesota sucks this year. I think Iowa State would match up really well against Purdue. Interesting. I do. Well, if we see them, that means we went pretty far in the tournament. So yes, both of these teams are likely to be very are likely to be top four seeds in the tournament at this point. Yeah, and I mean, if we just before we go to next week, if we just talk about expectations, right? This the Cyclones again are well. Uh, well overperforming expectations. Just a month ago, I predicted the Cyclones would be an eight seed or better in the NCAA tournament, and you guys gave me a triple for it. Now that seems like a foregone <laughs> conclusion. Yeah, right. That's how much the the expectations have been raised just in the last month, and that's something to keep an eye on going forward here against Texas Tech. Um, that's a, a road game at Texas Tech um, here on Monday. Um, as we're recording this, and this is a game that um, if you were if your goal is just to make the NCAA tournament like it was at the beginning of the year, this is this is a game that's not particularly important. It would be a nice win on the road if you could get it, but in the end, it probably doesn't matter that much. But to me, now the goal for this team is to go win the conference. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go win the conference, you're going to have to win on the road. And if you're going to win on the road, you better win against the team that hasn't won a, a conference game yet, right? If your goal is to win the conference, this is almost a must-win game. That, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can't you can't lose to this Texas Tech team. I mean, they haven't won a game so far in conference play. Uh, I think they're ten and ten overall now. Eleven and ten overall with the big challenge win. Yeah. Okay, eleven and ten overall. Um, this would be a bad loss on and your it, schedule. It's, it's I don't not, think so. I mean, I mean it's, again, it depends on what your perspective is. Are you thinking tournament seeding? Losing a close game today isn't going to affect our tournament seeding. Just TCU like the was a betting game. favorite. Yeah. And I think their record says they're worse than they are. Like, they're a good team that have, they've lost a lot. Like, they have. But when I watch them play, I don't see a team and think that team is not good. Yeah, they're not they're bad like good. that Iowa State or TCU teams were like two, three years ago. They're not that yeah. bad. But yeah, if you if your goal is to win the conference championship, this would be a bad loss. Not for yeah. tournament seeding, but if your goal is to win the conference, I agree, this would be a bad loss. Yeah, if you want to perform like Kansas does every year, you can't lose this game. Not acceptable. But if we just want to make it to the tournament, that's fine. It happens. Win, on, win at home, right? That's what you do. Yeah. And like we talked about last week, this is a quad one game, right? If we win this game, it's a quad one win. Same, same with that Missouri game. It was very disappointing, but, we, but the result of that game is we fell all the way from 11th in the net to 12th in the net. That game didn't really matter. It was very disappointing, and you didn't like to see us play that poorly, but it didn't really matter. And as far as the net goes... That's going to be the same as long as this is a competitive game. That's going to be the same. And that's not going to change much after this game. Assuming that we finish out this year uh, strong like we did last year, do you think it happens at the beginning or at the end of this year where people start talking about how our coach obviously doesn't want to be at Iowa State anymore? Happens every time we have a decent coach. But all they talk about right now is about how TJ is a cyclone through and through. Doesn't matter. They said the same thing about 
the you know the mayor and then it was about all the places he could go and then it was the nba and he did go but i'm like they always want people to leave they hate it when there's a good coach and they have to talk about iowa state i mean yeah that's, I that's a good the question. end of this year it's a good question you'll start to hear it in the off season potentially mm-hmm. depending on what jobs are open right yeah that's true KU fires John Calipari, or not KU, uh, Kentucky. If they fire Calipari, does did they come right? Does he get on? Does he get uh, in those rumors? I don't know. I don't know. Just a thought, but yeah, that's an interesting thought. So that that game will be Monday. Any other keys to that game? I mean, some of it will depend on if Grill plays, and we're two and a half hours before the game here, and we don't know. I still haven't heard if Grill's going to play or not. So. Yeah, my key is have Grill play. Yeah, I think if Grill plays, we win. And if he doesn't, who knows? Yeah, flip it up. Yeah, the the betting markets are obviously uh, thinking he's not because this morning Iowa State was a one-point favorite and now Texas Tech is a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. So So Vegas thinks Grill isn't playing. I haven't seen anything from any – reliable source saying one way or the other but we will see and we'll let you know how that goes the other game this week is is the big one um saturday ku at home 11 a.m espn how early are players camping out or fans camping out for that game do you think they're already at hilton the students i i don't know maybe is has college game day announced where they're going yet? Is college game day going there? I don't know. I haven't seen one way or the other. So I I don't know. Maybe they are. Yeah, that that's gonna be a huge game though. An absolutely huge game and definitely something we'll we'll uh we'll keep you informed on that. And again, Kuntz so that game is the game Kuntz was originally targeting for his return um from his, his broken hand. I did see um, I don't know if you guys caught this on the sideline. Um, his hand was completely cast free on the sideline at the Missouri game. Um, so that is good progress. Um, whether or not that means he'll be ready on Saturday, I have no clue, but he's at least progressing well and is getting close. I would imagine. So he won't be too long, whether or not it's Saturday, we don't know, but it won't be too long would be my guess. And after that game, will be after this Texas Tech game, will be um, exactly halfway through the conference season. So, something to keep an eye on and evaluate and see where everybody's at and where we're going to go from there. Any other thoughts on the men before I transition to a, a, a fantastic week from the women's team? No, none for me. Hearing none, we will go to the women's team. Um, you guys remember on last week's episode where I said that TCU is just an awful, awful basketball team. You guys remember that? I do. Uh, yeah, Iowa State um, made them look like that. On the road, beat TCU 75-35. to 35. Not competitive. Cyclones jumped out to a 16-point lead at the half um, and never looked back. They outscored TCU by an absolutely ridiculous margin in the third quarter just in the third quarter alone iowa state outscored them 29 to 5 um just in the third quarter um this yeah this was 
an absolute domination. And what a, and a great game from uh, from Ashley Jones, of course. Um, but Morgan Kane as well um, had a very, very good game with 13 points and five rebounds. Um, the Cyclones are going to need her offensively um, if they're going to continue to have success. So that was really good to see. I mean, it was good to see um, some of the scrubs get in and get minutes too in that much of a blowout. Some of them even had um, seven-plus minutes playing most of the fourth quarter. So that was good to see. And then um, redemption um, for the early season loss to OU um, in the second game, 86-78. to The Cyclones got the W, and it was the Ashley Jones game. 32 points from Ashley Jones in that game against Oklahoma. Just a great performance at home from the Cyclones. Um, They uh, uh, moved up to number 12 in the AP poll with with this week. They are currently also tied for first place in the conference standings with Texas at 7-2. So both the men and the women are now tied for first place in in the conference. It is a great time to be a Cyclone basketball fan. This upcoming week for the women, um, they their first game this week is Wednesday at K-State. That'll be 6.30 on ESPN+. And then Saturday at home against Baylor, 5 p.m. on ESPNU or ESPN+. So by or, I mean both. You could find it on either one. Um, so those are two games the Cyclones will both be favored in. Hopefully they can win, keep this winning streak going, and and compete for a conference title. So Baylor is not as good as they have been in previous years. They're 14 and 6 overall and 5 and 3 in conference. So that's that's a very winnable game at home. They're not top five team like they have been in previous years. So that that's it for the women's team. Um we'll we'll keep you informed on what happens this week on next week's episode. Kyle you want to tell us what happened in the conference championship games? Yeah. So uh, what was shaping up to be a fun and exciting weekend for the conference championships uh, ended up being slightly a disappointment for some 49ers fans out there as the Eagles in the first game of the day routed the San Francisco 49ers behind a a uh, huge rushing attack for the um, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, lots of lots of yards gained on the ground um, in this game, and the Eagles just overwhelmed them. And now, why is that? Well, a lot of it was due to the fact that the third string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, our boy Brock Purdy, got hurt on the second drive of the game um, as he was. Uh, hit while trying to throw um, a pass that ended up being a fumble, but it caused more damage than than was sustainable for Brock Purdy to come back into that game and be able to throw the ball uh, like he normally would. Um, The report on the sideline was that he had an injured elbow. Um, At that point, they were talking about possibly some nerve damage not being able to really feel his hands and grip the football. So 49ers down to their fourth quarterback, long-term backup and kind of journeyman in the NFL. Juwan Johnson comes in. He also gets hurt and is knocked out of the game 
your emergency quarterback is Christian McCaffrey, but Brock Purdy comes back in. At that point, it just becomes a running game for the San Francisco 49ers. And you can only be so creative with that, especially like Kyle Shanahan and his schemes. He's one of the most creative offensive minds in the NFL. But there is only so much that you can do when that great Philadelphia Eagles defense, especially that defensive line, pretty much knows you are lining up and running right. the ball it, it, it's any all defense. the time. When you, when you can't pass the football, you ain't going to win football games. It was, it was over at that point. Especially against Philadelphia's defense. Right. It, it pretty much felt over when Juwan Johnson came in. Now, the San Francisco 49ers had a touchdown drive with Juwan Johnson as the quarterback, but that was pretty much a Christian McCaffrey drive. Uh, he made an incredible, uh, he had an incredible touchdown run in which he jumped over a defender, bounced off of two would-be tacklers, and ran, scampered in for uh, twenty plus yards on that. But other than that, you know, everyone was everyone was blaming the forty nine or not everyone. A lot of people were blaming the forty ers defense on Twitter. It is not the forty ers defense's fault. They had times when the the drive that Brock Purdy got hurt, they they made a stand, uh, stopped the Eagles, um, and they kind of held the Eagles in check for all that first quarter, and the game was tied at 7-all, even with Juwan Johnson as your backup quarterback. It, it is just Josh the, Johnson, by the way. Or, sorry, who's Juwan Johnson? I don't even know. Probably somebody. It sounds right, <laughs> but Josh Johnson, thank you. Arian. Um, but when the, the Eagles hold the ball for, uh, I forget what the ball control total was in that game, but I think it was over 30 minutes that the Eagles really had that football in the game. It really puts a lot of strain and pressure on that defense. That defense is tired. Uh, they're worn down and it's not really their fault. It's just the lack of offense was the issue. Um, Brock Purdy after the game said that he felt really bad for all the older guys uh, because they really deserve to be there. But you can't blame that on Brock Purdy. Like, he can't take that blame. Fred Warner came out and said he has nothing to apologize for. Like, it's because of him that got them to where they were. It's just there are only so many injuries that you can kind of weather the storm through. And it kind of goes to show lesson learned for the 49ers and, and a lot of people out there. You can't just plug a quarterback into Kyle Shanahan's offense and it works, right? Because Josh Johnson looked lost out there. He looked like a 39-year-old who had never played in a you know, playoff game, which is exactly yeah. what he is. I mean, how many times can you do this? Like, By the way, Jawan Johnson uh, tied in for the Saints. Um, uh, but yeah. like, you know, you hear all these rumors about what the 49ers are going to do at quarterback next year. At this point, do all of them, right? How many quarterbacks can you have on the roster? We'll sign Rodgers, Brady, Garoppolo, Purdy, and Lance. At this point, you're going to play them all. I've never seen such a cursed, you know, season for well, quarterbacks. It's a, it's a franchise, too. A couple of yeah. years ago, they were gearing up. They had a great roster. Jimmy G leading as their quarterback. He gets hurt at the first either in in spring training or the first couple weeks of the season, and they end up only winning two or three games the whole year. And they have a top pick. They do really, or they 
draft really well, and then they're right back in it. So what that organization is doing with their roster is incredible. It's just they got to get them. They got to get rid of their bad juju or something around injuries because they they deal with the injury bug more so than any other team I think I've like seen. And it's consistent from year to year. I, I mean, they had big guys go down this year. They're running backs. That's why they traded for McCaffrey. Uh, obviously, the quarterbacks. Um, it's just George Kittle was hurt at the beginning of the year. It's just a nonstop uh, occurrence for them, it seems like. But it's it's the game of football. It's it's what you what you have to do, and you have to survive in advance. Unfortunately, they didn't have enough pieces at the end to win and get to the Super Bowl. Uh, but credit to the Eagles, this team has been uh, what a lot of people thought was like the undisputed top dog of the NFC all year. I will go on record in saying that I never thought it. Uh, I, with all due respect to the Eagles, they do have a fantastic team. I thought the 49ers would uh, be able to uh, play really well in this game and do enough to win, but hard to do that when you don't have a, a quarterback leading you. But I'm still not certain if Jalen Hurts is 100% and, and or not right from that shoulder injury that he suffered, uh, but they can really run the football, and that is their calling card. They've got a fantastic offensive line. Um, a lot of uh, ratings and rankings put them as the best offensive line in the league this year. Uh, they're just really good at running the football, man. And that that short yardage quarterback sneak is almost impossible to yeah. stop. What do you do? I I don't know. They they literally line up telling everyone they're going to sneak it. And you, can't and do anything. you can't do anything They're The O-line has their pads lower than the defense and. It just works. So props to the Eagles. They are back in the Super Bowl after a couple-year hiatus, but they have a loaded, loaded roster um, for them. Anything else? Any other observations on the NFC Championship game? Uh, just as a neutral fan, I was a little bummed. I thought we were going to get two really great games this weekend, and obviously you hate to see it end like that, but... Uh... You know, credit to the Eagles. They're fantastic. They've been fantastic all year. So it'll be fun to watch them. Yeah, for sure. You don't know whether the result have been different with Purdy. It would have been a better game if Purdy yeah. doesn't get hurt for sure. But, I mean, it's not like the Eagles got lucky that Purdy got hurt. They no. very well may have put win Purdy. They were favored even with Purdy expecting to play the whole game. So yeah. They yeah. didn't get lucky that Purdy got hurt. It's not like they don't deserve to be there. They certainly deserve to deserved to win that game. Right. This was just the next thing and Purdy's ever escalating like trials of people refusing to say he's legit. Like every time he won a game, they're like, well, next time, maybe. And next time, maybe. And it was like, this is the best team potentially in the NFL. So we'll see if he can do it against that. And unfortunately, we did not get to see his best there. And, you know, you hear that it's a six month recovery time potentially from his torn Middle UCL minimum six month recovery, right? So the most common way to fix the UCL is with Tommy John surgery. You see this with pitchers all the time. It's not the only way. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, anything that said Tommy John surgery was nine months to a year, basically. And anything that didn't mention Tommy John surgery said like six to, you know, six to eight weeks, basically, or six months. Sorry. There are, are alternatives to Tommy John surgery. Um, 
the my understanding and I, it's limited i'm not a doctor by any means i just read some things about it because of baseball um is that the non-surgery options are a for either less severe tears which he could have we don't know none of us seen the mri or they're more experimental i don't want to say experimental they're just newer procedures that are sometimes less reliable Tommy John surgery rarely goes wrong. It costs you a year, but at this point, it rarely goes wrong. You'll be back in a year. But unfortunately for Purdy, who all that speculation has been around, well, who's going to be the 49ers quarterback next year? He is in that unfortunate position of he might not even have a chance to fight. He might not have a year. If he has a year, he might not ever get to play again in the NFL. Definitely potential for that. Yeah. And he's getting a second opinion from someone, so we don't exactly know what, where he will go, whether he goes surgical or non-surgical, but you hate to see that be the end of the year. This was the same injury that a lot of people thought uh, Josh Allen had at the beginning of the year. Um, his tear apparently wasn't bad enough to require really any surgery uh, as he just kind of rehabbed and and uh, just kind of dealt with it for the rest of the season. Um, but... Yeah, we'll see what the ultimate outcome is. It's it's unfortunately a real bummer for him. Um, you hate to see it. So, but that's football. Injuries are a part of it, as the Chiefs are very familiar with. Uh, with a whole bevy of players that were either injured going into this game. Uh, obviously, the big one, Mahomes and his high ankle sprain, a late addition to the injury report was Travis Kelsey in his back. He was actually a game time decision uh, for this game after tweaking his back on practice on Friday. Uh, on Friday. And without him, man, this game could have been entirely different. But the Chiefs ultimately did get revenge on the Bengals uh, in this so-called Burrowhead nonsense. Sorry, if you win one game in Arrowhead... People have done it before. It's not called Burrowhead. It's not called any other thing. Uh, make sure, make sure you uh, don't don't talk too much unless you can actually cash that check. Uh, the Bengals did a lot of talking this week, and clearly the Chiefs uh, noticed and followed it up after the game um, that they weren't too happy about all of that. So. Uh, Clearly, Mahomes still isn't 100% on that ankle. There were a lot of times when he was grimacing in pain, walking around, jumping around, trying to walk it off a little bit. Uh, And on top of it, pretty much the entire Chiefs wide receiving core was taken out of this game as well. Kadarius Toney with an ankle injury at the beginning. Uh, McCole Hardman tried to give it a go after he came back from the IR, but he's still probably wasn't right he was writhing in pain and on the ground juju smith schuster went out with an injury but marquez valdez scantling uh really had a a standout performance for this this chief game i would say right and so okay does this set mahomes apart right and listen to this let me let me finish before i i get there this this is the receiver a receiver that Aaron Rodgers couldn't make work. Uh, Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to get the ball to him. They just were never really in sync. Uh, Mahomes is playing with a bunch of backups out there. I mean, he threw a pass in the fourth quarter for a first down to Marcus Kemp, 
You ever heard of him? No, because he's primarily a special teams player. Coming into the game, he only had four career receptions and 24 tackles. So he had six times as many tackles as he does receptions. And Patrick Mahomes was able to make it work with what he has. He's able to throw guys open, uh, and he just has that that uh, really... that 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 connection with all of those guys no matter who it is it's just next man up and you often don't see that with too many other quarterbacks in the league is that one thing that really sets him apart from all the other great quarterbacks in the league is your question is patrick mahomes really good like yeah he's really good like the best does <laughs> it set him apart as like one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Well, when you say that, another quarterback that comes to mind is Tom Brady, who does the same thing. So that's good company to be in, right? Clearly. I, but here's, here's what I'm going to be cautious on. When, when you're going to talk about, a, about making other wide receivers good, let's wait for more than one game. I'm not saying you can't. What, what he was able fair. to do with the wide receiver Corey had was amazing. But sometimes receivers have good games, right? If MVS, I don't know what his contract situation is, if he's going to be back in Kansas City or not. A three-year deal. Okay. So he's going to be back in KC. If Mahomes continues to do this, absolutely, let's start talking about it. But I'm going to pump the brakes on that one specifically, just in the short term. He very well could be, and I'm not discounting what he did. And he is a great quarterback. I just want to pump the brakes on that one just a little bit. And we as fans have this bad – we're terrible at it. We either credit – a player or we credit a coach, but we never credit both. Let's not forget Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the NFL, and he probably had something to do with that as far as play design goes. Uh, you know, so, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is fantastic, but Andy Reid definitely deserves some credit as well for just the way he draws that up and the way he gets this team to perform is incredible. I think I think the one thing that you did see in this game that not a lot of people are talking about that I've actually heard is the level of adjustments that these coaches uh, implemented and went through throughout the game. Early on, the Chiefs had four sacks on Joe Burrow. They did not record another sack until the final Bengals drive of the game on defense. And this was a def- this was a defensive line that was getting a ton of pressure. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is is huge into blitzing and different blitz schemes and he was bringing pressure all night but joe burrow and the offensive coaching staff were able to scheme up plays to keep him clean mostly that defense for the for the Bengals started out giving up a lot of yards a lot of open plays they really clamped down on the chiefs i mean the Bengals sat the chiefs uh or set the chiefs up in plus territory at the end of the first half and the chiefs went three and out and they were all three completions no running the ball and it they stopped him before the two-minute warning and then the Bengals were able to go down the field and get a field goal out of that uh had the chiefs done that a little bit differently on offense they really could have run that clock out uh and and at least given the Bengals a lot less time to deal with there but the coaching staffs made huge adjustments. The defense in the third quarter for the Bengals was phenomenal. Uh, the defense for the Chiefs in the fourth quarter was really good. Joe Burrow had his chances in a tie ball game in the fourth quarter. He threw interception, 
uh, on a on a really phenomenal play by a, a rookie corner or rookie safety, and then rookie cornerback uh, completing the reception, uh, and then a punt, which was preceded by a third down sack by Chris Jones the play before. Um, and that punt on the punt return, you know, another rookie who had his fumbles all season uh, was able to re- get a huge return. And that kind of set up that drive uh, without that big return. You know what happens? So it's the, the Chiefs had a huge uh, rookie class this year. They came in and made a lot of really big contributions in this game. Uh, but credit to both coaching staffs on both sides, making key adjustments when it really mattered. Uh, and that was the big thing to do, right? So uh, I want to talk about what's been the buzz recently, though. And by recently, I mean the past, what, 21 hours on Twitter? Yeah, roundabout. So, the refs had a big impact this weekend as a lot of, or a lot of people are saying they had a large impact. Um, you're hearing a lot of complaining, moaning, groaning about the, the referees and, and the, the, the boys in the zebra stripes or the footlocker employees as a lot of people coined them. Um, well, there were a lot of, a lot of issues there. There was obviously a huge, uh, call in which the, the Chiefs were really given a redo on a play. Uh, but like that last penalty, a lot of people are saying that the refs aren't allowed, shouldn't be allowed to define the outcome of the game. But that last penalty, we're, are we all in agreement that that was clearly a penalty? Yeah. Well, 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 well I'm, I'm going to hold you on that one because that's, that's Mike Stupid Rules. You're getting ahead of yourself. So we'll talk about that one specifically in Mike Stupid Rules. If you got other official gripes, now's the time though. Okay. So there's that. There were people griping about uh, the play in which the Chiefs should have had an intercept or had an interception, uh, but there was defensive pass interference, and, and people were saying, "Well, he clearly got there before. It was DPI. Relax. That was called." Um, I know Wyatt wants to talk about this, but we'll, we'll, let, well I'll get Ariane and Mike's take first. Uh, the play that was deemed a do-over, right? So the redo. There was a redo third down. Um, what, like between what happened, like, what are your thoughts on that play? Can can you give me some background? I must've totally missed this play. I don't know what happened. Yeah. So, so it was, gosh, was it, it, it was the fourth quarter. The chiefs had had a third down and long. I think it was a yeah. third and seven. Third and seven uh, I think, yep. The play before, uh, was ruled an incomplete pass. But the clock was apparently running uh, when they spotted the ball. The clock started as if it had been a completed pass inbounds, right? Um, no, no clock stoppage. The back, I don't know who that official is. Like a wing judge, I think, or something? Yeah, all, all the way in the back on the sideline, on the Bengals sideline. They finally got a camera angle that showed him kind of coming in, waving his arms, but... The stadium was so loud that no one could hear just one lone official's a whistle. Um, we don't know. Uh, we don't think the white hat saw it at all. Um, and the Chiefs ran the play. It ended, or it ended in an incompletion. So it would have been fourth down, 
or no, they got a penalty, actually. The penalty was declined, so it went to fourth down. They were going to punt, but the officials came together, talked about it, and they basically gave them a redo on third and seven. Now, they said that that it should have there was a clock issue. It should have been a it shouldn't have been a running clock. Yeah, so they, they stopped it and they basically reset the clock. The the play never should have happened. They ran it again. But should that play have just kept going or did they make the right call there? To me, and I'd love to get Wyatt's um, take on this too, but to me, if an official blows the play dead, it's dead. It doesn't right. matter if nobody actually heard them because you can't prove that somebody didn't hear them. Yep. Right? If an official blows the play dead before the snap, it's dead. You had something similar a little bit um, a little bit um, in the Eagles. Was it the Eagles game? In one of the two games where there was a – it must have – no, it was in the Bengals game. Um, the Bengals Chiefs game early in the first quarter, um, there was a false start, but nobody heard the whistle. And Joe Bird like scrambled for seven yards in a first down. Um, but then they called false start. Like nobody heard the whistle and they did the entire play, but there was a false start before the play and they'd blown the play dead. It's no play. If, if an official blew the play dead before the snap, it's, it's no play. It doesn't matter whether or not the white hat or any of the players or anything happened. Right, Wyatt? Right. That absolutely. Um, also, and you may have mentioned this, maybe you didn't. But prior to that play being snapped, the referee said on the PA, and I could be mistaken because I can't find a replay of it. But I'm pretty sure he said um, some spiel, and at the end he said the clock, the play clock, and the game clock will start on my signal. That's uh, correct. Which is weird, right? And then right, he gave the chop signal which is a signal that says the play clock starts, but the game clock does not start. So he's giving conflicting information, but the clock operator is probably like, whatever. Uh, you know, he said start the game clock, so then he does. Only one person on the crew notices it, like you said, and the game clock's running when it shouldn't have. And we were down at a point where that would matter. If that happened at, like, the start of the quarter, might just get swept under the rug, not a big deal. Under five minutes or so, you know, uh, especially in a game like this, you're definitely going to keep track of the clock a lot more closely. But the field judge who killed the play should have been running like into the middle of the field, waving his arms um, wildly while screaming on his whistle the whole time. If he's going to yeah. blow the play dead. He ran onto the field, but he gave it a half-hearted attempt and gave up and just oh, stopped. And that, that's yeah, the problem. My, right? my only complaint with the play is that he just gave up. Like he jogged on there for four steps and then he was like, eh, I guess I'll let it happen. Like this is your job. Get in there, blow the whistle when you're you know, other ref mates or whatever they're called. See you. They'll also blow their whistle. So you don't get run over by a player. But like, like Mike said, you can't just say, oopsie, sorry, I didn't hear you. And I just ran my play anyway. Otherwise we're going to get that. That's gamesmanship. People would do that intentionally. Like if the play is dead, the play is dead. It looked weird, but it's not crazy. Yeah. I'm just saying it would be better if he would have actually, uh, you know, put some effort into it either way the play was dead you can't argue that the whistle was blown the play was dead it doesn't matter i actually had i had a very similar circumstance this year uh in a game where the down box was wrong and i didn't catch it until like right at the snap so i had to blow the play dead that did develop a little bit not not nearly as bad as this but it sucks being that guy but you gotta have all your ducks in a row you know 
ultimately, it sounds like the officials made the right decision because they then were able to reset the game clock, reset the play clock. I get it that Bengals fans were, and even Zach Taylor was irate at that point. He's furious. Like, I get it. It looks bad. And the fact that it's in Arrowhead, you can't hear at that point, right? It, it's so loud on the field. But the the fact of the matter is, ultimately, you know, you'd say hindsight is twenty twenty. but people don't have a reason to whine and complain about it because it had zero implication and impact on the game. Zero. The next play, the next play, Mahomes got sacked. It actually worked out in their advantage that they had worse field position for that upcoming punt. Now, Tommy Townsend being the AFC's best punter this year was able to pin him on the seven yard line, but that's, that's not the, the issue there. That is sure. If that play had impact on the game, like say the Chiefs somehow scored a touchdown on that. I would say that the Bengals would have more reason to complain about it, even though the rules are the rules, but quit whining about that play. It, it had zero impact and implication on the game. Yeah, you just get all these people who want to whine and complain and every single call that happens that they don't understand when no one, you know, save Wyatt and Mike here, no one reads the damn playbook. But you act like you know what you're talking about because you saw somebody else tweeted online. Everything has to be rigged. Everything's a conspiracy. You know, if, if the Chiefs would have scored on that play, they wouldn't have blown it dead. Yes, they would have. Well, you're just randomly making it up. And friggin' tweets and posts that I've seen that just keep talking about holding. Like nobody yes, understands when the arrival is called. Right. Like, there was like there was a hold on the play where Mahomes um, was shoved out of bounds. Uh, I think like the left tackle held a little. Number sixty six, so. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's 57. like ten feet away from the play at that point. It had no effect on the play. Was it technically holding? Yes. Did it affect the play or give an advantage to either team? No, it did not. Therefore, right. you're not going to get a flag on it. So people are, are looking at that. And saying, it's one of those things they say you can call holding on every play. Like, I I don't know. And then so Jeff Schwartz, former offensive lineman, actually broke down the play that you are specifically targeting there, Wyatt. Uh, if any of our listeners want to go look him up on Twitter, please. He is an actual offensive lineman who played in the NFL. His brother played in the NFL for many years. Go listen to his breakdown um, or or read his breakdown, I should say. He actually broke that down really well on when and when it isn't holding, right? Rip, so, rip through is a really good example of something that everybody thinks is a hold mm-hmm. and it's not. Right, and that was actually happening on that exact play. Yeah. Uh, Trey Smith, 65, was uh, uh, working on a rip-through by, I think, B.J. Hill on that play. Uh, Jeff Schwartz nails it perfectly. I'm not even going to try and recap what he said. Uh, I guess I could go and find it, but I don't have that pulled up right now. So there it is. Go look it up. Great insight on that. Uh, sorry, Bengals fans. You know. Sorry, but quit complaining. Jeez. Yeah. Well, why would the stadium be loud if the Chiefs are on offense? I'm like, have you ever <laughs> been to a football game, you moron? What are you talking about? It's always loud. It's always no people having are. fun. What are you talking about? Everybody I just always has to find something, game? right? I need to sit quietly like it's a library because my team has the ball. Like, come on. Get over yourself. Because the, the Chiefs are the bad guys now. It's crazy how fast it shifts. 
like yesterday, it was all about the Chiefs beating Brady and the evil empire. And now everybody hates Mahomes and the Chiefs and they don't want to see him win anymore. Yeah, I I did. I did say that last night while watching the game. Um, I was like, man, I, I feel like people are starting to get sick of the Chiefs just because oh, they're yeah. winning so much. Um, and and I even I even had it had it started typed up to you all. And I was like, why am I being apologetic? Just suck it. These are the Chiefs. They're better yeah, right now for is. a reason. Uh, everyone is chasing them, and I get that everyone's saying that. Oh, there's like the the Chiefs are the best. They need to be unseated. So what? Just if your team can play better and beat them, there you go. Beat them on the field. I'm glad the Bengals won. Uh, thought they won the AFC Championship with their smack talk. Um, have fun in Cancun. Uh, peace out, uh, Eli Applesauce. Enjoy your stay. You're super bitter, and that's obvious because you're a Chiefs fan. Um, please smack talk all the time. That's way more fun for everybody else. Yes, I like yes. to see people get into it. I will say, has 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 the NFL have fans of the NFL just always hated quarterbacks if they're good? I, think I don't so. remember this specifically. Like, did people hate Aaron Joe Montana? Rogers, Aaron Rodgers talking about back in the day, Brady. you know, oh. like old well, ones. Obviously, then. we don't know, but like, did people just say, "I hate Joe Montana. He's garbage. Get him out of my face." Like. Did we used to appreciate that better? I don't know. I was just wondering that today. You guys want to know my hot take? Sure. I do. If every quarterback that's in the league right now retired this year, Patrick Mahomes is number three, if not number two, in the entire league. Whole career. The only person I will 100% put him behind is Tom Brady. And you can make an argument to me that he's better than Aaron Rodgers already. Well, I can already make that argument because he's appeared in more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees combined. So. Well, sure, but that doesn't really, you know, people would make an argument about longevity and, you know, Aaron Rodgers just never turns the ball over and he's fantastic overall. But like Patrick Mahomes, what he's done in five years is incredible. Yeah, he could retire now and he'd probably make the Hall of Fame. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, I'll say this and this might be a hot take. Aaron Rodgers is an MVP quarterback. Uh, Patrick Mahomes cares more about winning Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers is probably the most, I don't know, he, for the years I said he was the best quarterback in the the most talented quarterback in the league. Maybe not the best, because that's Tom Brady, but Aaron Rodgers was just so good at it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and now we're really getting off track. I think there's too much emphasis placed on winning Super Bowls for quarterback. Who, who's the better quarterback, Eli Manning or Peyton Manning? Peyton. Peyton. Lance, same number. Super Bowl wings. How do you right. know? Same number. I'd, right? I'd say that every Christmas if I was Eli, I'd be like, oh, if you're so much better, how come you don't have more Super Bowl rings? <laughs> yes. Obviously, he probably does. Yeah, right? Obviously, that is the goal, right? But only one team can win the Super Bowl every year. And there are 22 starters on offense and defense. And only two teams make it. There. Right. So yeah. it's incredibly difficult. Right. Yeah. And yes, obviously that's the goal. And obviously that has to play a part in it, but let's not overemphasize that. You can be a good quarterback and just not win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Somehow. You have to get lucky. Yeah. There's luck. I mean, Charles Barkley was a great basketball player, never won a championship because guess what? Michael Jordan was there. <laughs> like, it happens. Are we saying that Phillip Rivers was never a good NFL quarterback? No. Like, you can't say that he was never not a good NFL quarterback. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Dan Marino is my prediction. Many call him one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So, yeah, 
Dan Marino is my prediction for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow never wins a Super Bowl ring. Well, from the Super Bowl uh, on the field, which will be the the Chiefs and the Eagles in two weeks, we'll we'll do our Super Bowl. Uh, wow, Su- Suba Bowl, Super Bowl <laughs> predictions uh, next week um, as we gear up for that game. Um, on to the NBA. Yeah, just a really quick aside because we were talking about uh, whining and refs. Just want to make a real quick. It seems to have gone viral. Many people who don't watch the NBA at all are very aware of this uh, big game with the Lakers and the Celtics. Uh, LeBron's going in for the game-winning layup uh, is blatantly fouled across the arm. Uh, basically, a textbook definition of what you would see as a foul if you were looking at a rule book. Hit right across the arm on the layup. They don't call it. Uh, LeBron goes into the most majestic of gyrations and tantrums. Uh, and ends up falling to his knees on the court as if in prayer for the patience to not go and smack that ref upside the head for being completely blind. Um, after the game, Pat Beverly came up to the ref with a literal camera from the sidelines uh, showing the ref the play so that he realized he got it wrong, was quickly given a tech in what may be the most comedic uh, moment of the entire year in the NBA. Credit to Patrick Beverly for that. That was pretty funny. It's amazing. And then the refs put out some ridiculous statement about how they feel so awful that they got it wrong. And they hope that people can forgive them and they'll suffer sleepless nights because of the call. And I'm like, no, you will not. What are you talking about? You didn't accidentally kill somebody. You guys get it wrong all the time. I, refs, the moral of the story is refs have always missed calls. They always will miss calls. There's no secret, you know. Uh, overarching plot to do anything. Everybody always says it's rigged or the refs all have money on the game because sports betting is more legalized now. Sports betting being legalized has nothing to do with it because Tim Donaghy got caught fixing games a million years ago when it wasn't legalized nationally. And obviously that makes people think it happens more. But just, just another instance of refs and did they get calls right? Did they get calls wrong? They're just going to get them wrong. You can't be perfect. Get over it. Uh, anybody have any thoughts on that? No, it was hilarious, though. It was, it was fantastic. It was Great so theater. Funny. Uh, and uh, from that, we'll move on to more ref stuff with uh, Mike's Stupid Rules. Hit us up, Mike. I hear you have some nice stuff from this game this weekend. I mean, yeah, as, as I mentioned, Kyle was talking about it, we want to talk about there were actually um, unnecessary roughness controversies in near the end of both games um, for hits out of bounds on the quarterback. Um, so we're going to just, we're just going to go straight to the rule to look at these. Um, and, and we'll go from there. So first, if we're going to the rule book, um, a necessary roughness is covered under rule 12, section one, article, no, sorry, section two, article, where did it go? I lost section two, article eight, rule 12, section two, article eight, um, that says there'll be sh- there shall be no unnecessary um, there shall be no unnecessary roughness. This shall include, but will not be limited to. And there's like seven different things it lists here, but I'm gonna specifically look at part B because that's gonna apply here. So this shall include, but will not be limited to B forcibly contacting a runner when he is out of bounds. Note: Defensive players must make an effort to avoid contact. Players on defense are responsible for knowing when a runner has crossed the boundary line, except in doubtful cases where he may step on a boundary line and 
and continue parallel with it. And then there's another note at the end of the rule. When in question about a roughness call or potentially dangerous tactic, tactics, the covering official should always call unnecessary roughness. Those are the rules as written. If we look specifically at that Bengals-Chiefs play, was the runner out of bounds? Clearly, yes. He has taken two steps out of bounds. He is clearly out of bounds. Uh, was there any doubt that he may have been trying to stay in bounds? No, there was no doubt there. And the rule specifically says it's the defender's responsibility to know that this is a flag. This is obviously a flag by well, where the rule, how the rule is written. You can talk about whether you like the rule or not, but that's a flag the way the rule is written. It, it's pretty obvious in my opinion. I mean, I would say so too, um, but I, I don't know. You can't argue with the rules. Them's the rules. I got uh, rules slammed down my throat last week when I couldn't make a prediction, prediction even on this podcast. So uh, those are the rules. If you don't agree with them, then write your senator. Uh, there you go. There's your, there's your tip for the week. <laughs> write to Roger Goodell. Yeah. No. Yeah. Write to your senator first. <laughs> you, you have about the same chance of getting it right either way, which is basically zero. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, I will say I, I will be writing my senator because I do not like this rule. I think it's garbage. I agree. I do not like this rule the way it is written. Um, but that that's the way it was written, and as we've said many many times on this ep- on this podcast, the official's job is to adjudicate with the rules as written. And that's what they did in this game. Yep. So I don't I see agree. any problems with that. Um, the one in the, just to come full circle, the one in the Eagles-Niners game was much closer. Um, that one I still probably say it was the right call um, because Jalen Hurts was clearly trying to go out of bounds and had already taken a step out of bounds. Um, but... I like that one even less. If you guys go back and find that one, um, that one was even closer. So there you go. That's that's that rule, and it was absolutely the correct call. Pretty pretty we're unanimous here that by the rule, it was the correct call. So that's it for Mike's stupid rules, and we will move on to our accountability session for our write that down predictions segment. Not a very good week for anybody um, at um, the Right the Down Prediction, except Ariane, I guess, who had a good week in the end. Um, first prediction to come off the board was Kyle predicting that a first-year quarterback with a new team will win the Super Bowl next season. Hurts and Mahomes both played for their teams last year, so Kyle gets a nah. 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 Kyle also predicted that Justin Herbert would win the league MVP. We don't know who's won it yet, but Herbert is not a finalist. It's hard to win an award you're not a finalist for. So Kyle gets a nah. 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 Um, Kyle predicted that Tyrese Halliburton would be an all-star starter. The odds of that probably went down when he got hurt. Um, he's still hurt, right, Aaron? He's not playing? Correct. Yeah, and he is not an all-star starter either. We'll see in a couple days whether or not he makes the game. The reserves come out in a couple days. We'll uh, talk about not, it when the reserves come out. Yeah, but he's not a starter. So Kyle gets a nah. Nah, nah. Josh predicted that Purdy would go to the Super Bowl, which he is not doing. So Maybe he will for fun. Well, <laughs> true, but then uh, that was not clarified in this prediction. So nah. 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 
And um, he also predicted the Purdy versus the Bengals in the Super Bowl, which was also wrong. So, uh, nah. Nah. I think she get it double wrong. That one would have gotten interesting because – we he's we did specifically say he needed to start at QB for that one, and had they yeah. somehow won that game, he wouldn't have started at QB. So Kyle put it that Nick Bosa would be the Super Bowl MVP, which he what which he cannot be if he's not going to be playing in the Super Bowl. So nah. Nah, nah. Nah. Wyatt predicted a Bengals 49ers big game. We're getting the exact opposite of that. So nah. 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 And Orion redeems us all. He did an, an off-episode prediction, which is allowed, again, as long as it follows all the other rules. He predicted that Chris Jones would get his first postseason sack in the AFC Championship game. He had two sacks. So we, and said, we gave him back. a single for that, We did give way. him a single for that, yes. I thought I might get a double, but... No. Not with the injuries on the Bengals' offensive line. Yeah, yeah. and... Especially the interior injuries and Christian. Last year they were normally nines up on the inside. For some reason, the Chiefs just could not get to them, and the they were the only team that didn't just sack the heck out of Joe Burrow last year. So I'm glad they yeah. got it done this year. So anyway, that gets a ding 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 ding. And as per usual, I will get us started getting prediction back up on the board. I am going to predict that the Cyclone men, I'll, I'll clarify that in the outline here, the Cyclone men will either share, at least share the conference title or win the conference tournament. Interesting. Are there any stats on this? I was looking to see if I could find odds for that. I'm seeing a 13.8% chance of winning the conference tournament. Um... I I don't have anything that shows me odds that they will win the debate, win the conference. For the record, Bartovic predicts them to finish eleven and seven in conference, which I doubt would be enough to share the conference title. Probably not. You're you probably need to be what thirteen and five, maybe five, fourteen so, and four. Yeah. I have a so I get emails from teamrankings.com about the cyclones they project us to finish the season five and five um and they give us a 20 percent 20 percent chance to win the one seed which is shocking to me very high um i think it's probably a little bit lower than 20 percent, but they do have us as a projected number one seed right now the only games they have us under 50 percent chance of winning is at west virginia at k-state at Texas and at Baylor. That that's in line with the Bartovic too. We'd favored yeah. in all the rest of the games for Bartovic besides those four. Man. This um, is like kind of kind of a triple. Yeah, I think twenty is probably a little high. I would say so. Especially because, you know, Kansas will pull out some nonsense. They always do. Yeah, triple's fine with me. I'm between double and triple, but you I know, was as, the real sports well. yeah, like the, the inside voice says, "Come on, man, it's a triple." <laughs> yeah, it's just not meant to happen. When's the last time they won the regular season? I don't remember. I I don't know if it's been since I've been like alive. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> 2000. They had a good season in 2000, 2001. Yeah, so uh, double we'll or give triple. It a triple. We'll give it a triple. Triple? 
the, the stats say triple. Uh, triple it is. Do everything from Josh this week. Is he still alive? He is still alive. Um, he's doing good, but with Brock Purdy out of the playoffs, um, he hasn't switched over into NBA mode watching the Bucks yet. So he didn't have anything good to predict. So he's going to take the strike out. All right. Um, since I can't really make a good prediction on whether or not people be whiny about uh, the refing in the that, Super Bowl, that is not quantifiable. Uh, it's not. Also, it's I'm not. just. It's not worth the odds to give it to I you. I could whine for you. you. If the Chiefs lose. It's just so excessive. These, I don't so know. So much. No one enjoys sports anymore. Like Everybody Apparently just not. watches it to hate stuff. Enjoy yep. the dang game, guys. It's fun. It's a kid's game. Maybe we should have prefaced this by saying that we're not Chiefs. Well, I'm not a Chiefs fan anyway. but I'm slowly growing to be a Chiefs fan a little I'm, bit. Kyle's I would say I would fan. say there is one Chiefs fan and one partial Chiefs fan, and then the rest of y'all don't really care about the Chiefs. See, yeah. I'd, I'd be tooting the same horn if the Bengals won. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, anyway, my, my prediction is as close as I can get to that. I'm going to say there is not an unnecessary roughness out of bounds call in the Super Bowl. I mean, how often do those calls happen? It's like once a game, especially in the big games once like this. That's what it seems <laughs> like, like. No. Yeah, even like the past couple weeks, like oh. like the last few weeks of the season, like I feel like it was happening every game. Single? Can we look this up? I don't think it happens that often. I don't know how to look that up. <laughs> I do wish there was stats on what penalties were called. What if Jason, Kelsey, and Travis Kelsey get into a huge scuffle on the sideline and they throw a flag on that? No, this, this is specifically the thing that we're complaining about. Oh. I, I um, won't be cheap like that. I would think that. Yeah, I'd say so. I was cheap a couple weeks ago with the ring prediction. So, Yeah, that's true. I'd say single. I'd, I'd think that that would happen. Same. All right, single it is. Sounds good. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, Joe Burrow gets 50 or more million per year this offseason. I'm not familiar with the uh, quarterback market right now. Like, like yeah. signs a contract with that, or he actually receives that amount of money in the offseason? Signs a contract for that. This average, average yearly like cost is 50 okay. or more million a year. So the top is 44 right now. Jalen Hurts. Jeez, that would be massive. Well, I thought Aaron Rodgers was three years, 150 million. Oh, where is he? Sorry, I just went to spottrack.com. I do not think they spend that much money. Like, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm feeling like a triple, triple on this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Triple. Sorry, I, just, I didn't look at it. It just, it just feels like a triple. It does not yeah. seem likely to me. Whatever. Yeah. Mahomes <laughs> isn't getting that much, is he? Uh, ten years, four hundred and fifty million, which seems four like five. a bargain right now. Yeah, I find it very easily. Whatever, it doesn't matter. That's fine. <laughs> okay, what, what do you got, Ariane? All right. Um. Also, I did look it up. The conference regular season champions, the Cyclone Men, were in two thousand and two thousand one, and before that, it was the forties. Oh, so it hasn't happened a lot. Wow. Um. Yeah. 35, 41, 44, 45, and then 0 and 01. KU's reign of dominance. But check out those 
those big 12 tournaments that's where we live those are the ones that matter because those are the ones we win <laughs> and those are the ones that get us automatic bids okay exactly. now on to your prediction uh, the super bowl will be decided by three points or less you're gonna make mostly because me have, I want it. You're gonna make me have the most <laughs> stressful Super Bowl experience possible. Secondary uh, prediction: Kyle's BPM will top 120 during the game. <laughs> I will say my heart rate did reach 104 last night at one point, according <laughs> to my Garmin smartwatch. Not a sponsor. Um, they wanted to though. So it I did I, want I, to. I looked this up. Um, this has happened five times in the Super Bowl since 2000. So oh, it's wow. not as common as you – is that more or less common than you thought it would be? Less common? Less. I thought that would have happened more. Oh, no. Really? The majority, it's more the majority of Super Bowls aren't close. Well, that makes me sad, so I want it to be close. Like, double. Double. I don't know. Yeah, That feels it, like a double. What, five happened, out of 20? Yeah. It, it happened last year, sure. but the, first time, the last time before that it happened was 2013. When Baltimore beat San Francisco 34-31. That was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. Was that the lights go out in the... That was the lights go out. The yep. Harbowl. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm between a double and a triple. I, I was initially a triple, but I, I got punted down to a double. I say solid. double. There's, there's some convincing. So, Wyatt and I right. both have double. Sorry, Ariane. No biggie. Well, double is with a single, two triples, and a double, and and a strikeout, I guess. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 Cast, episode 208. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on both Instagram and Twitter, where you can also see people complaining about NFL officiating. Signing off for the 8311 Cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Quick and plan. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Rec Tech! <laughs>